Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now, my next guest tells me she's in the business of saving lives and increasing bravery. As benefits a former literature professor, Michelle Orbach is a firm believer in the power of storytelling. Her latest book, Resilience, The Life-Saving Skill of a Story, was written in response to COVID. And I'm delighted that Michelle joins me now. How are you, Michelle? I'm great. Thank you for having me. No, lovely to talk to you, Michelle. You might explain, I suppose, storytelling as you see it and how it relates to business or life even. So, okay, I'll tell you what it's not. How's that? Storytelling does not mean you have to be a good writer. It doesn't mean everybody needs to have grown up Irish because there are people like me who grew up (laughs) not in Ireland and therefore probably aren't naturally gifted storytellers. Storytelling is a way our brain works. And so it's shorthand for a whole bunch of things that we do in culture and inside of our bodies that allow us to communicate better with each other, improve creativity, you know, calm our nervous systems. So when you think of story, don't think of it just as reading a book to your kids at night, although that that also is story, but think of it as the way that you go about doing a lot of the things that you do in your day. So is it essentially about making it interesting, making it authentic, uh, and just, you know, that it's credible, it's genuine, and that it, it reflects also personality? Yes, Absolutely. It's all of that. But it's also about the why below that. Why does it work? How does it work? Right? That, that in our bodies and in our culture, we don't know. It's like a chicken and the egg thing. Did we, our brains grow the way they did because we used story all the time? Or do we use story all the time because of the way our brains are wired? But the reason it's authentic, believable, relatable, gets people, holds people's attention in this economy where it attention is so hard to get is because it works with our brain and with our body to solve a lot of the problems that we come across in any given day. And can you give me examples maybe of businesses or companies that use story in a really in a really good positive way? Absolutely. So I do a lot of consulting um, on leadership development, creativity and innovation, creating psychological safety, trauma-informed workplaces. So I've worked with a bunch of companies from really big Fortune 50, you know, US-based but international companies to little small startups. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So I've been working with a pretty big Fortune 50 healthcare company that helps you guess who it is. Um, and they they have been using story in order to do culture change in their organization and not by telling the story to the employees, but by gathering stories from employees and building a unified story of who they are. And then also using that to sort of diagnose like, Oh, look, here's a gap. Let's, we've discovered it because the stories let us know that there are things missing in our culture. And we can actually solve that then. So they use storytelling both to gather information and also to to, to disseminate and, and enlarge their culture. So that's pretty cool. And when you're talking about a company such as that, are they are they are they trying to collectively articulate storytelling, as in that everybody would tell the story in a similar way that would give, I suppose, a, a cultural bounce to the business? Um, yes, and we've also been using it specifically for business, like bottom line purposes. We need to generate a new product. We need to work to solve um, problems in process. 
um, that we that we see exist. Um, we need to bring people together to change the way they think about each other when they're working in silos. So they're they're also doing internal storytelling, not just external story communication. Right. Now, if we go back to the book for a second, uh, Michelle, uh, this book was written uh, during the pandemic. Uh, it was written in, in just 40 days, which I'd say is probably a record in, in publishing circles. And it also was a book made up of contributions and interviews that you did with some very interesting people. So tell us more if you would. So the book opens with a story about a business with whom I work, right? So that that's kind of a fun thing. It's a, it's a big healthcare organization and they COVID meant rapid change for them. Like everything was different about the way that this hospital system did their work. And the folks who were doing the work were straight. I mean, we all know now, but this was at the very beginning. And so they were deeply strained. And so that meeting that I opened the book with really gave me an idea that the things that we know from culture about how story works, and one of them is to help people make rapid change and deal with stress and trauma, um, was going to be super necessary. So I started out wanting to focus on them. And then I kept coming across people who I know or who I've worked with who were using story in remarkable ways, either during COVID or where it, it dawned on me that they'd been doing it before COVID. So I interview people from as broad a spectrum as political activists and healthcare workers, neuroscientists, um, you know, folks who do medical decision-making culture change to just to give people an idea of the breadth of what goes on. But the main thrust of the book, and this is why for business audiences, even though it doesn't say business, you know, on the back of the book and it's not going to be in the business section, it's really helpful is because I wrote it as I was working with my clients during this transition um, and all of them were having the same issue. Like we can't see each other. We can't be together. And what do we do? And so the book really took the best of everything that was going on in the, in the world in which I work and put it together so that folks who I work with could have a tool. Right. So what is the, what's the common denominator then between like the chef, the food justice advocate, the political activist, as you say, the neuroscientist, are they all telling different stories, probably in the same way, were they? No, they're all using story completely differently. So the right. food, right, the food activist, um, who is an amazing um, person who used to do work in non-governmental organizations and realized that by using food that she could create more change, is using the food to tell the story because it brings up in people's minds everything about their culture just by tasting certain things. And so she was able to help people see ways to care for themselves better during COVID that were cheaper, that involved better, you know, better health outcomes and that were allowing them more possibility. So that, that might be the common denominator, more possibility. Um, but, you know, and then, and then the folks who were working in the hospital system were using story in order to help relieve stress and to create new systems for, so that they could work better under really harsh conditions. So they were using it for a very different reason, although very similarly, right? They were, they were getting together and talking to each other as opposed to getting together and eating. But, um, but they were using those stories as a way to share information that could actually affect behavior change because data doesn't work as well. And everybody knows this, right? Everybody in business knows this. You give somebody a spreadsheet and they look at you like, and, you know, like they, they can, you can see the obvious conclusion. Oftentimes things are very clear, 
when you use a chart or a spreadsheet or you have a slide with a lot of data on it. But in order to have people use it to change decisions, behaviors, make connections, you have to add the story. Right. Now, it's interesting that you you write about uh, telling a good story and telling story. But your previous two books, one was on the AIDS crisis in uh, New York City. The other one was on, uh, I don't know, was it uh, Nazi-era Vienna? Like two very different, I suppose, topics. Uh, But they were both stories that you told in your own way. Yes, yes. And so I'm not a great example, right? Because I keep saying you don't have to be a writer. And I happen to also be a writer. And I do write a lot of um, fiction books. But I think that the fiction books led me to understand how important story was. It wasn't the other way around. Like in doing that, I realized, hey, this is actually how my brain works. And I thought, well, I'm probably not special and different, right? I'm just human. And so I started to think about like, wait, this is the way everybody's brain works, whether you're the storyteller or the story listener. Um, A lot of neuroscience research tells us that those two experiences are actually really similar. So I started to think about, well, if stories affect us telling and listening, why is that? And then I proceeded to get a PhD in it. But but it came from the fact that I do love to write fiction. Okay, well, look, uh, you're a breath of fresh air in terms of the story. Uh, I know I'm Irish, and maybe that uh, we we have a kind of way of looking at stories. They're called Shanna Keys over here, people who sit by the fire and tell a good old yarn or a good old story. So the book is called Resilience, the Life-Saving Skill of Story. The author was Michelle Arbach, and she uh, joined us there now. So thanks for joining us, Michelle. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.